welcome back to Simmering Thoughts, where we serve up slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. I'm the host, Ryan Akers, and I want to thank you for listening to this program. This season on Simmering Thoughts, we are looking at discipleship. Specifically, we're looking at how the book of James helps guide someone on a discipleship journey. How are we shaped by the text? How does the text challenge us and move us forward toward growth in Christ? So sit back, settle in, and enjoy this episode of Simmering Thoughts. That's right. Welcome back to Simmering Thoughts. My name is Ryan Akers, and I'm the host of the program. Uh, Today, I am joined by one of my Twitter friends again, and that's okay, because that's my choice as the host, is to pick all my Twitter friends and have them on. Today, we have Jason Goodham. Uh, He is joining us from way up north. I'll let you all uh, learn that from him. Jason, go ahead and introduce yourself just a little bit. Yeah, Pastor Jason Goodham. I am a pastor a Lutheran pastor in South Minneapolis, a faith-free Lutheran church. Uh, I come from a very small Lutheran denomination called the AFLC, the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations. We come out of Norwegian Lutheranism. Uh, we have about 275 congregations in our denomination, most of us centered in the upper Midwest and in Minneapolis, in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis, Plymouth to be specific, is our church's headquarters and our Bible college and seminary. And I teach at uh, both of those, and I'm on the board of trustees of our Bible college. Oh, very cool. I did not know all that. That's pretty neat, uh, especially being on the board of trustees. That's a that's a that's an interesting set of responsibilities. Yeah, it really it's really quite interesting, the different de- decisions you get to uh, make. <laughs> I don't even know if I want to find out, so we'll let that one go. Uh, There's a lot going on there. Well, as uh, our listeners may know, we are in the middle of a series on discipleship, and we're looking specifically through the book of James and kind of looking at the whole book in its context uh, with the idea of discipleship. Uh, As I've been reading over the book over the last few months, that's something that uh, stuck in my mind as part of that's because I'm a family ministry pastor and discipleship is a large part of that job. And so this was uh, kind of an outgrowth from that. And as we're looking at this particular passage today, we're looking at uh, James, of course, and we are in chapter three, looking at verses one through 12. And, And this is a passage that's really dealing a lot with how we use our speech. So I'm going to go ahead and read that here. Uh, And I'm using the CSB so our our listeners know that that's what I'm using. Jason, what is your preferred translation today? I've got the ESV in front of me. ESV. Okay. Very cool. All right. So this is James 3, 1 through 12. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's mature and able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies and consider ships, though very large, are driven by fierce winds and they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, the tongue is a small part of the body. It boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. 
It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. So as we read this passage, uh, what is it about this passage that particularly lends itself to us in terms of discipleship? Well, the Bible is very clear in all of Scripture, not just this passage of the importance of words and the importance of, of the tongue, but but especially as a matter of discipleship, the tongue is wrapped into the concept of the Ten Commandments. Now, there's probably just a tiny little bit of an explanation we have to do here because of our different traditions. Uh, in the Lutheran tradition, we use a different numbering system in the uh, on the, for the Ten Commandments than mm-hmm. uh, other traditions do. And so, for me, this is an Eighth Commandment issue. Uh, for other Christians, it'll be a ninth commandment issue, and it's just whether you have two first commandments or two tenth commandments. Uh, so that that's how it works. But for for God to tell us about holiness, which is the entire purpose of the Ten Commandments, is you know, uh, I think far too many Christians look at the Ten Commandments as kind of God's arbitrary grading system. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's these are the this is this is the curve we're going to be graded on. You know, I'm doing that. But, but what we fail to realize with the Ten Commandments is not only that God wants us to be holy, but he tells us how to be holy and he tells us how he is holy, right? right. So uh, like you, you, you jump back to Leviticus 19.2 and, and God says, you share, therefore shall be holy as I am holy. Or, or, or Jesus uh, expands on that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.48, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Right. And so the purpose of the Ten Commandments is not only to reveal how God wants us to be holy, but how he is, he is holy. And in that eighth slash ninth commandment on bearing false witness against your neighbor governs the tongue. And so a, a major part of our holiness as Christians, a major part of our Christian discipleship is taming the tongue. And we, we ought to realize that and emphasize that. Kind of makes me think of the passage uh, that, that the power of life and death is in the tongue uh, is one mm-hmm. of the things that, that jumps into my mind in that particular context. And that, you know, as we're uh, relating with others, uh, we have the ability to speak to them things that are life-giving and speak to them things that are life-stealing at the same time. And uh, you know, when, when you think about the the sacrificial process and the the idea of the life being required, uh, you know, we're we're it's almost Harry Potterish. You know, the the dementors are able to suck the life out of somebody, right? So our words are able yep. to suck the life out of someone literally. I mean, how many times have have we been deflated? by what somebody said at the wrong time, you know, the wrong comment at the wrong time just sucks the air out of a room and it deflates everybody and uh, can really damage uh, relationships and and can damage individuals uh, far beyond when we ever see them uh, out, outside. You know, we may not even notice that we've done that. And somebody carries this wound for some time after the fact it uh, the, the, the power of the tongue is it's, it's laid out here is uh 
it's astounding. It's it's more than what you think when you're when you're just on the surface level. Uh, one of the things I wanted to to mention, and it just popped up into my mind a little while ago. It wasn't something that I had long planned, and that is that the tongue, in a lot of ways, is a uh, a display of our sanctification. It's a a fruit display, if you want to think about it. You know, walk into the grocery store, they got the fruit all laid out, right? But it's kind of like that, where we can see in what you say where you are in sanctification and how you use your words. Uh, it's hard to hide your words for very long. Your intent eventually slips through whether you want it to or not. So I guess one of the, as a, a pastor, a question that I would have is, how do we apply this uh, in as a starting point? How do we apply this as we're teaching others? Uh, how do we go about the process of uh, helping to disciple people with their tongues? For from my perspective, it's all a matter of love. So the 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 culmination of the law, if we're going to tie this back to the Ten Commandments, the culmination of the law is love God, love your neighbor, right? Mm -hmm. So if we go back into the concept of the the law and the concept of the neighbor, what it does is it frees us to have an external focus on our words instead of an internal benefit. Mm. And the internal benefit will be there. But it's much easier for us to think about what Jesus is getting after, what scripture is getting after, what the Holy Spirit's getting after. If we look at the purpose of our words is to love our neighbor. And and, and it's it, it beyond then the practicing of virtue. And it's, are my words loving to my neighbor? And, mm -hmm. and that frees us from, think, we don't have to be cloyingly positive all the time with our words and, and think that we're, we're fulfilling these commands of the tongue. What we need to do is be honest and gentle and wise. Mm. And so like, you know, the scripture is very clear that the new Testament is incredibly clear about correcting false doctrine, that it's unloving to not correct false teaching. Right. But we don't do that in a way so that we, the, the goal is that we speak words where we're smiting our neighbor. It's that we're correcting them out of love for the purpose of reconciliation. Right. And, and we're, we're building someone up for the purpose of loving our neighbor. We're not just paying them empty compliments. And so it, it allows us to stop and consider, did what I say or is what I'm about to say, is that a loving thing to whom these words are directed? Yes. Uh, looking at verses nine and 10, it kind of brings that out. You know, with the, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and father and with it, with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness, you know, and then it right, right after that, it says blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. So are we speaking blessing? Are we speaking love uh, to God and to others? It's one of the the things that we, we were looking at the tail end of the 10 commandments. We can also tie back to the front end of the 10 commandments that we are to be worshiping only God. And that our our words and how we use them, uh, we're going to use our mouth to bless God, and in, we should be also using our mouth to bless others through what He has given to us. Uh, so I, I guess one of the things I'm trying to get to is um, for those that because I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping several of our church members are listening. I'm recording this way in advance, so I'm not positive how many are going to going to be paying attention and listening to it, but I'm hoping quite a few do. So if I'm not a pastor and I'm going through this particular text, uh, what are some of the questions and what are some of the ways that I can uh, take this passage? And if it's something that I know I'm 
needing some discipleship with my tongue? What are some things that I can take out of this? Some some sticky thoughts, I guess you might say, that that can help me on a day to day basis. Well, I mean, there's any number of ways you can go as a starting point. Uh, One of the ways is to listen for how people compliment you or how people speak to you and use that as an opportunity. So often we get tunnel vision on life and Mm -hmm. are we receiving good from someone without thanking them? You know, it's, it can be literally can be as simple as using our words to thank and praise God. Are you praying a dinner prayer before a meal? Are you uh, praying a prayer in the morning? Are you praying right before you go to bed? Those are, that's activities of the tongue. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you have fellow church members, have you thanked them? Have you have you complimented them? Do you have coworkers or you know your boss or your employees or whatever? So really, when it comes down to practicing this and, and applying it to our lives, maybe one of the easiest ways to start is just to ask the question that the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Yeah. And then how can I love them? Finding the neighbors God has given you to love will find you a place to direct your words. Uh, maybe in a, to shift a little bit, uh, a way where we need to remember that this affects is all of our behavior on social media. Mm-hmm. It becomes very easy, almost to the point of zero cost, to use almost exclusively harmful language on social media, whether we're yes. whining or we're tearing others down or, or we think we're doing the virtuous work of fighting those we disagree with. Uh, Social media leaves us with this false notion that our words don't do any harm. It's kind of that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me kind of a thing. Yes. But it affects us. You know, in in this passage in James, it's emphasizing what Jesus taught about in the Gospels, that our words are a reflection of what's coming out of us. Yes. You know, Jesus talked about it's what's inside of us that does the corrupting work in our life, not what comes into us. And so, like you said, I I love that kind of grocery store uh, image of looking at the fruit that's there. Your words are revealing things in your life that you either don't want to think about or you need to work on, right? And so if you look at your social media behavior, if you look at the way you speak about others when they're not present, that's revealing to you opportunities to repent of sin. Yep. It, it, uh, the the uh, the old phrase this will show us our age uh, as internet users but uh, i don't know if you remember we used to call that flaming someone uh, long in the day yeah. uh, we would you would That's get on so and like just set them on flame. isn't it crazy it's a different decade <laughs> it feels like it's several decades ago but that's another discussion but that i mean that ties right into here that the flame is uh it, you know it just takes a little tiny spark and you can set a whole lot of things on fire and that's the it's really an appropriate way. That was a, actually, I thought it was a great way to temper people. Why are you setting me on flame? Uh, it was a great way to to say to somebody, Hey, what temper your words a little bit, cool it off because we get, we get riled up in our own minds and we turn the problem, generally speaking, much larger than it actually is. And when we do that, when we exaggerate the size of a problem, we exaggerate the size of the reaction and that tends to cause more and more problems. It's a, it's a cascading effect. What's really interesting about that is that's actually the sin of lust. You know, we we almost exclusively tie the sin of lust to sexual behavior, mm-hmm. but really the sin of lust is getting caught up in your passions. Right. And an impassioned response 
is your emotional reaction becomes addictive to you. Yeah. That you fail to be measured and responsible with your emotions in your speech. And so that flaming someone or, you know, whatever the, the new term is. <laughs> I have uh, no online, clue. Put them on blast. Uh, maybe that was a while ago too. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever it is, it's going to be obsolete in two days anyway. So it doesn't matter, but it's, it's the, the act of attacking someone verbally is mm-hmm. addictive in and of itself. And that that is connected back to the sin of lust. It's one of the spots where the the uh, Gen Z is actually getting things right, and it's really the tail end of the millennials where they started talking about speeches can sometimes be violent in and of itself. It can be an assault with just words, uh, and we've had that in our our law books for how long? There's such a thing as verbal assault, uh, and yep. and we have to be aware of that. It, it's Man, it's dangerous. And that's from, that's just the diagnostic side. Um, and once you start into the, how do we control this? You know, the, it, look at how difficult it is for a horse to be controlled without a bit. You know, you think about it. When, when do we train a horse where we don't put a bit in its mouth first as part of the training process? Yep. And so what would be, what would be something that is, uh, you know, we have our social media feed. Uh, let's say we have somebody that's listening that may or may not be on social media, what is something on a on a day to day place where <clears throat> we can put that bit in place to control to almost self place it, uh, or maybe we think of it in terms of somebody who's discipling a friend. What is what are some steps that we could take as we're coming along somebody that's that's just now learning uh, to to kind of help them with that process? I think a good barometer to start thinking about how you ought to do this is to go back to a passage like Romans 12. Okay. Uh, In Romans 12, it begins about halfway through the chapter. And and it's the whole passage that talks about rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Do Mm -hmm. not repay evil with good. You know, that's the passage I'm thinking about. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's a, a fancy or a long way to say, the, the starting point for training yourself on this is empathy. Okay. So if you're going to be training your speech, part of what you need to be doing is putting yourself in the person you're speaking about shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, how, you know, if, if, if you did something, how would you want to be spoken of? And almost always we would absolutely want someone to put the most charitable construction on the thing that we did. Yep. And practicing that, is how we train it. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I think you brought in, you know, someone who's in a discipleship relationship, someone who's being discipled, having someone be able to analyze that from the outside. We all have, you know, we all have trouble with gossip, especially with people mm-hmm. who aren't in the room with, with us, but having, having some, somebody else hear our speech and say, you know what, you know, maybe we should let them defend ourselves before themselves before, we make this conclusion about what they did or what their actions were. And yeah. uh, that's another great piece of advice, especially it's my policy on Twitter. Uh, you and I are both active Twitter users. It's my yes. policy is don't react too quickly. Mm-hmm. Always allow time for clarity. And so it, the world will be just fine if you don't react to something in 23 seconds. <laughs> you know, it, it's not that important. And so waiting time for emotions to kind of simmer down, waiting time for more information to come, the longer you put between a situation and when you speak about it, 
the more you're going to be able to speak truth about that situation instead of speak error. I think one of the things that, that uh, both of us have done is when we've gotten in one of those heated conversations, I know I do it regularly with more than one or two people. I've got a list that I kind of work my way through and that's to send a private message to somebody after the, after the conversation has taken place, it went wrong at the end. I don't know why it went wrong. How did we get to getting wrong? Was it my side? Did I mess this up? Not, I don't care about what the other person did because at that point they're on their own. I can't touch that, but it went, the conversation went wrong. Am I the one who started it that direction? Or what did I do in this conversation that pushed it that direction uh, as even part of that question? Uh, and and having that that time to think through your words after the fact is a difficult thing to do. It's something that as a teacher, I've been forced to do just by the nature of being in the classroom and saying, however many words I say in a day, I have to go back and remember when a student is di- having trouble with a concept, did I actually cover this or did I somehow gloss through it without actually making sure they had a chance to hear the information, which sometimes with my memory, uh, my ADHD will allow me to forget, you know, I have to see, give the same information, three classes uh, with the same lesson. They're not all three going to be the same. And so did I get it right that time is in, I have to doubt my own words before I doubt the other person's words uh, is something that, that I, that's the, the, so I guess maybe a, uh, a place to go, next would be uh you know we we look at at how others can be discipled we can look at uh, the the process where we can self self analyze uh kind of like walk into our own fruit store type idea so let's take that and spin it just a little bit differently and more at our own you and me uh, what is a way that this has particularly been a struggle for you or where is a, a, a particular success in your discipleship process uh, as you've gone along? Is there something that, you know, a mentor helped you with or something in scripture related to this passage? Well, the best piece of advice I ever got when I was in seminary, and, and this is something that has impacted my entire ministry, but it was always, it, it comes down to this always stand for something and never stand against something okay if if i can stand for something that means i mean i need to be able to speak positively about it if i'm mm-hmm. standing against something all i need to know is what i don't believe and to be honest no one in the world cares what you don't believe not a <laughs> single person in the world cares what you don't believe it's 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 low hanging fruit it's easy thing but that ties back to the sins of the tongue so quickly because again we sometimes run in the trap where we think what James 3 might be prescribing is that we can't speak negatively or we can't disagree or anything that like that that's not what it's saying mm-hmm. what it's saying is that we don't use our words to tear down and do damage right and so if if i disagree with someone I need to know why I disagree with them. And then that's a talking point. That's a way to use your words constructively. And, you know, it's it, it's a matter of going from the first muscle you use isn't your tongue, it's your ear. And I know mm-hmm. the ear's not a muscle, but you get what I'm saying. And, uh, you know, you're a teacher. I, I teach quite a bit myself. And when my students ask questions in class, one of the things I try to do to make sure I'm going the right direction is I try to rephrase their question. Yes. So that I understand what they're asking. And, and 
that that's what we practice with the tongue too. And so that, you know, to long way to answer your question, the triumph has been for me to stop being so negative and angry about things that I disagree with and to just be comfortable with what I believe and relate the disagreement back to what I know I believe and confess. Yeah. It's, it's an important thing. Uh, one of the, and I think this is something I was thinking earlier and lost my brain on, and that is that we can also respond with questions. Uh, one of the things I, I, especially on Twitter that I like to do when, when somebody says something that's a little off the edge then that I'm not sure exactly if they meant it that way is I'll ask a clarifying question. Did you intend this? And, and that's, I use it in the classroom as well. When a student responds, you know, sometimes their response here's the message you're sending. Is that really the message you're intending me to receive? And that allows both of us, it allows me to help them learn how to respond to somebody when they're upset, how to respond when they're frustrated. And with teenagers, that's a regular uh, event. <laughs> and uh, uh, and and it also helps me in, in learning how to listen a little bit better. Uh, and it helps me listen to them because then I learn oh, you weren't really angry or upset. You were just saying it because you were in a hurry. And so I start to be able to parse the difference between this and that uh, with how they respond. And and sometimes it can feel like a confrontation when you ask that question. Here's here's the message you're sending me. Are you sure that's the message you're sending? Am I receiving your messages correctly? And if they're meaning something else, that gives us an opportunity to work through that to find what it is they're actually trying to say. And it sets up the next conversation in a much better light, makes life a whole lot easier uh, on my end as a teacher. And, and I'm hoping on their end as a student to the, where yep. they learn how I listen just as much as I'm learning how they speak. Now that's really good. And, you know, it's so much of taming the tongue is learning about not only when to use the tongue, but when not to use the tongue. Mm. And it's, it's, we, we, our first reaction doesn't need to be to speak. And, and, you know, we're, we're by and large talking about social media and the, the debate culture and everything like that. But it's also, I think of something like Job, you know, where, where Job's friends went wrong is that they opened their mouth. Yeah. And they started to give them really bad advice. And so it's, you know, so often our tongues follow that principle, nature abhors a vacuum. Yes. And we're not willing to be silenced. And, you know, sometimes when someone near you is hurting, they don't want you to fix their problem. They want you to hear it. Yeah. You know, they don't want good advice. They don't want a, a Bible lesson. They don't want, you know, this, that, or the other thing. They want you, you know, it goes back to that weep with those who weep concept. If mm -hmm. someone tells you something, it's probably not because they want you to fix a problem. It's probably because I want you to empathize with me. I want you to know what I'm going through and understand. And, you know, if, if our reaction is to speak something instead of to hear and listen, you know, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. That's, mm. uh, it's sometimes the ear is much harder to use than the, uh, than the tongue is, uh, the, the tongue runs off on its own quite regularly. <laughs> and, uh, I, I've found uh, one of the the things I struggle with is my words, my thoughts come rather quickly. Uh, I've been trained to be someone who th thinks multiple thoughts at once, and it helps that I have ADHD, so I'm capable of thinking multiple thoughts at once. If I can get them to connect, that's when it's best. Uh, but sometimes I move and change. I'll go from point A 
and I'll go through C, D, E, and F without recognizing that I've done that. And I don't help the other person jump all those train tracks with me. And sometimes I'll get to going so fast that I, that because I'm talking so fast, the person I'm talking with gets buried in all my words. Uh, and that's especially true when my emotions get up or when I get uh, agitated for whatever reason, or when I'm just really excited about what I have to say, I can really talk fast and learning to slow myself down uh, and to measure my words. And I, I have said this a dozen times, probably on the podcast over the years is that the applying the carpenter's rule to my tongue measure twice and cut once. And when I do that, then I I'm so much more clear as a speaker and I'm able to uh, compensate for different communication traits that different people have rather than just my own speech. I'm now tempering it, not just to my own speech and my intent, but also what I want them to hear and how I want them to hear it. And so by taking that extra time to think through before I jump in, uh, that has been something that has helped me. And it's also been something that got me into a lot of trouble over the years when I didn't do that. Uh, you know, that's one of the things I had to learn in the classroom. Some high schoolers really love sarcasm and some of them don't. And, you know, you get to be pretty proficient with sarcasm when you're using it a lot, but sarcasm just by the nature of what it is, is cutting. I mean, the whole point of it is to be a cutting remark. And so you end up cutting people when you make cutting remarks and it took me a while to learn that and to, to, to think back at the times where I've said something that was a cutting remark that I thought was a funny, sarcastic comment, but was received as a wound. And thinking back and seeing that hurt in the child's eyes, they mask it quickly, but you can still catch it if you're paying attention and being able to run back scenes and see that and realize that that's what I've done. Man, that's a it's not easy to to uh, come to somebody who's under your authority and say, hey, you know, I messed up. That's my fault. Well, it's interesting. The Greek word, the Greek roots for sarcasm mean to tear the flesh. Yeah. It comes from the Greek word for sarks and chasm. So tearing the flesh apart. And, and that's that goes back to the original idea, right? We're supposed to use our words to love our neighbor, not to tear them down, not to tear them apart, but to put them back together again. Yeah, to heal. Uh, instead yep. of destroy that's that's i mean if you think about the mission of christ what is it besides to heal rather than destroy uh he doesn't come well and john was that john three that he's not coming to condemn the world but to save it one of christ's primary ways that he relates to us is through his words he's our yes. advocate that's what uh First John 2 says, you know, we have a mediator with God, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And, and Jesus is there before us in God's throne room, speaking well of us because of what he's done for us and in our place. Yeah. Oh, and the words of Christ, aren't they healing? <laughs> Even when they yes. challenge us, right? You know, uh, it's, it's, uh, this is also, I, I recently was, I was preaching the uh, parable of the fig tree. Uh, with the the fig tree that Christ condemns, right? The it it looks like it should be showing fruit, but when he checks the fruit, there's nothing there. Uh, this passage uh, kind of brings us to that. To as we get toward the end of it, can a fig tree produce olives? And you know, when you think about that, the difference between a fig and an olive, I don't like olives at all. Why? Because they're salty, and to me, they're bitter, and they just they like take over my whole mouth and I don't like that flavor. I can eat dried figs. I really like 
like fig Newton type things. And those are tasty and sweet and wonderful. And if you're going to, especially for those of us who name Christ, we are saying that we're part of this good tree. And yet how often do we put out the sour stuff uh, or bitter? You know, it's, it's not just, are we cutting at others, but are our comments be betraying our heart being bitter or sour or all of those different things? Um, just tying it back into the the text of that, you know, the, the, the idea of salt water and, and fresh water. Uh, yeah. Salt water. I don't, don't like salt water at all in my mouth. It's a terrible taste, uh, but I drink regular water just about all day long. Nope. That's a, it makes a ton of sense. And it, it's just a different way of looking at the, the, the power of our words to do good instead of the power of our words to be a drawback. Yeah. And it's a, it's not something that we're going to perfect. I want to make sure our listeners are hearing that. I know I don't have it perfected. I still make errors at home. I get grumpy. I'm in the middle of something and I don't want to get up right now, <laughs> but I need to get up right now because I need to do something. And I get a little salty with my words. And I realize often after the fact that I need to chill myself out because it's not their fault that something needs to be done. It just needs to be done. Um, and so, you know, I know that this is something that it's a constant effort for me. Um, you think about the the idea of the rudder. It's such a small thing for such a big ship. Well, when you make your changes, it's kind of the same way. You can make those as small adjustments, but it might be a while before you notice it or before anybody else really does. And it's good to remember, especially I think the comparison in verse 12, the fig tree doesn't bear olives, the grapevine doesn't produce figs is we should not be surprised when we sin with our mouths. It's not the end of the line that we we messed up. It's an opportunity mm. for repentance, right? Yes. Not that we excuse sin in our lives, but if perfection is the goal, it it denies the nature of our sin, right? And so uh, if if we perfected every word that came out of our mouths and only used their tongues for perfection in God's sight with his absolute perfection, we wouldn't be any less of a sinner than we would have been if we hadn't corrected our speech in the first place. Yep. And so just as it's important to watch our behavior with our tongues, it's important to have the right perspective on what God is asking us to do here. Again, yeah. this isn't something that is primarily internally focused as we're going to master this virtue and move on to the next one. It's something where God has given us an opportunity to realize before him, our righteousness is in Christ. But mm -hmm. before our neighbor, God has given us a neighbor to love. Yeah. And, and in a way, it, it uh, just kind of as a wrap up, that's a great place to this. This whole part of it is a great place to end it. it it's uh, the idea that we're going to get to perfection, even if we did. Uh, the way the law works is if we've broken it once, and even if we broke a different part of the law, we've broken the whole law. And that's just back in chapter two. It's not that far, far back from where we are, um, but that we're able to then take that and remember it and remember that there is healing and there is salvation and there is forgiveness in Christ. Uh, there's no better place to end a, a podcast 
than to end on that note. So Jason, I want to say thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's wonderful to have you on. I hope this has been a blessing to the listeners. It has been to me. Uh, every time I end up feeling better at the end of the recording than I did even at the beginning. And this is fresh at the end of a school day for me. So uh, I'm I'm really excited uh, to go back and listen to this again. Uh, so thank you so much for your input and for your sharing and for being willing to be on. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Simmering Thoughts. You can find us online with your favorite social media at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also email us at simmeringthoughts at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on these episodes. With that in mind, if you enjoyed what you heard, please go to your favorite podcast catcher and like and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.